I'm Lauren Daniel of Greater Victoria Placemaking Network. And I'm Ray Stratzma with the GVPN. We are all about amazing places. From the traditional territories of the Lekwungen and Wasanich peoples on southern Vancouver Island, I'm Dean Murdoch, and this is Amazing Places. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren and Ray. So, Lauren, you're the uh, founder and uh, current board member of the Greater Victoria Placemaking Network. Ray, you are the chair and uh, longtime member of the GVPN. And I should also mention you're a couple of guys who wear... Uh, a number of hats, so you do lots of stuff outside of the placemaking world, but today's all about placemaking. So I figured who would be better to chat with than um, two folks who dedicate themselves uh, a lot of their energy and time to placemaking in Greater Victoria. Lauren, uh, you started the network. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is placemaking? Yeah, well, it's always a little bit messy uh, talking about placemaking, and I think that's because the uh, the nature of the beast, and uh, uh, it's difficult to come up with a short sort of elevator speech uh, definition. Placemaking is, uh, first of all, I like to point out to people is a verb. It's an action. It's uh, something that evolves and happens over time. But it's really about um, how community uh, changes and uh, develops the shared public spaces in our communities to, uh, to create more uh, livable and inviting and safe uh, and nurturing spaces in our shared space. So when we're talking about public space, we're really talking about everything between our, um, our private property lines so placemaking place is stuff that happens in parks and plazas and on streets. And as I say, it's all about um, creating uh, healthy uh, places where uh, people can develop a, a friendly sense of community. Ray, you agree with that? That's your view on placemaking too? Yeah, I mean, uh, Lauren's right that there's, a, you know, over the last decade or so, there's been a lot of sort of definitions floating around, but they, they generally um, do, do come around to this notion of like collectively reimagining re and reinventing, um, activating public spaces that, you know, and, and making those public spaces um, enjoyable and at the heart of you know of your community right so it is it's a little bit of a um the emphasis is is really on on the community certainly for our organization is on the community-led part in the community participation so not just um you know, i think people rec have recognized for a long time the value of public spaces and particularly in urban sort of urban centers but it's not it, it, it's a recognition that, oh, you know, there's, there's a role for community members to, to be part of that, how those public spaces are used and not just let that happen um, or let those spaces be designed by professionals or engineers or, right, um, that there's a role for the community. So why the need for a network, Lauren? Well, it's just a way of uh, sort of building uh, momentum, helping people uh, develop skills, um, 
and uh, and as with any community endeavor, pulling together the energy of of diverse people so that collaboratively working together, you've got a little more capacity and more more going on. Um, as Ray says, um, you know we're very much about uh, grassroots uh, community driven place making which is um, by its very nature, I think much different than a sort of top-down planned use of public space. Um, the word placemaking, you know, the reason that I started off with the definition I did is, is because it's often been kind of co-opted a little bit to talk about people sort of see it as being about um, furnishings and and what we would call kind of urban design elements. So in a little plaza, do you have a fountain and do you have a bench and those kind of physical elements? But um, to us, the reason why we exist as a network is much more about at the starting point before you talk about the fountain and the bench and what kind of flowers you're gonna put in, you need the people. And the people have to be there. They ideally are in the shared space together. We're great believers in getting people out into the spaces that they're talking about and experiencing them and saying, uh, you know, for example, who feels safe in this space and at what hours of the day um, people's experiences differ so much. You know, kids experience space so differently uh, than adults do. And, and too often we don't have kids in our traditional planning processes. So how do kids you know, interact with the space differently? Women interact with space differently than men do and have different concerns than men do. And we need all of that. We need that diversity. So as a community organization, we try to foster that diversity of people engaging with their physical spaces and uh, and talking about them and, and making them better. I think we definitely understand the value of having these places. And I, I think the pandemic has proven just how important it has been to make these places available for people to get together. Why is placemaking important to you? Yeah. Um... I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, sort of an urbanist, uh, and I lived in, have lived in large cities, like from a personal point of view, mostly lived in the, the three larger cities in Canada, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto. Um, and so, and I enjoy city life and I enjoy what, what it has to offer. Um, and yeah, and I've always had a sort of just a, a somewhat of an amateurs, um, and just a citizen's residence interest in what makes cities work and what makes them uh, viable and vibrant and, and fun places to be. And most, you know, I've done some, some of my own career has been in, in transportation planning and consulting. Um, but, but I've also always recognized um, that public spaces and just have, and, and, and how important it is to have people um, on our streets so, uh, and, and how people attract more people, you know, um, in, in an urban environment, if there's, if there's an interesting um, area or a square or a, a street that attracts more people or a shopping street, even it, it tends to bring more people in it sort of feeds on itself. 
Um, and so, yeah, and I got, I got interested in placemaking really through Lauren. I heard uh, shortly after moving to Victoria, I, I came across Lauren's name and some writing he was doing and some walking tours that he was leading. And, and I called him up and joined on one of these walking tours. And, and that led to, yeah, a number of conversations um, in, in Victoria about what, what could be better, how the city was changing. And, um, and yeah, and I liked his approach and it fit with a lot of the sort of thinking and reading that I had done about cities from Jane Jacobs onwards about how um, people centered places are, are what make cities really work. So that's kind of, that's where my interest has come from. What are some of the examples? How do we know placemaking when we see it? Well, you know, good placemaking, um, as, as Ray mentioned, kind of draws people. Uh, we talk sometimes about sticky places. I mean, not all, not all placemaking involves that, but sticky places are, are places where people want to stick around. And, um, you know, an example, a project that we've been involved in recently, and it is pandemic related, would be uh, Broad Street in downtown Victoria. Uh, the one block uh, between Fort and Broughton. And um, it uh, has been opened up to uh, pedestrians and patios and uh, closed off to vehicles except for delivery vehicles uh, early in the morning. And, um, and it's become uh, one of those uh, sticky places. And as in, we built some street furniture down there, got it uh, designed by an architecture firm that donated their their time and um, uh, it's become a, a place now where there's, there's always people down there. There's lots going on. There was, I walked through there yesterday, there was some live music that the restaurant had brought in and, and it's a, a place now. Uh, it used to be just a street and a, a street that's only used by cars and, and for parking is just a transportation corridor, whereas now it's it's actually a place, and uh, it becomes a bit of a destination, and it certainly becomes um, somewhere for people to pause on their way between other activities. They might just stop for a bit, have a coffee, visit with a friend, um, and uh, check out the little free library that we built and installed there. You know, there's there's multiple things to do, and uh, Good places typically serve multiple uh, interests and multiple needs. So I think that in the past, we've maybe made the mistake sometimes of thinking, what is the one good use of this space? But really good places have many, many different uses and uh, they attract different people at different times of day for, for that reason. Um, definitely, I'd say in, in the last while, yeah, Broad Street has, has been probably the most successful, the most um, visible of, of places in, in the region, certainly in, in Victoria, um, where there's been um, some successful placemaking um, happen. And, and it's, it's just worth mentioning, yeah, that it was, it was a collaborative effort. It was um, the, the city identified um, the street 
uh, some staff from the city identified the street as as just sort of the right kind of place where some changes could happen at post post pandemic in the, those early days when um, patios were being considered last spring, um, and then and then uh, some conversations with the businesses there um, bore fruit and and they were quite intrigued to, to want to do something and then we were invited in to be part of the very first kind of on street conversation there. And so it was a good example of what Lauren described earlier of like spending time on really in that physical place, looking around and, and reimagining what, 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 how it could change and how, well, if we didn't have parking here every day, you know, it would open up new space. It would allow um, some patios and, and it's evolved as well over time in the short year kind of that that's been there, it's evolved in different ways. And, and, and the, the business owners, uh, or the retailers that have really taken ownership of it to, to a large degree. Um, but we, we contributed different elements as, as a small community organization. Um, and again, with further collaboration, as, as Lauren said, um, with uh, having a local architecture firm design some furniture for us and then volunteer efforts to paint it, um, donated planters and things like that. So it's a really great example. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's other kinds, you know, the, uh, we can talk a little bit about, but you know, other kinds of placemaking have happened across the city earlier um, in previous years in, in a, maybe a little bit more of a haphazard way or spot spot kind of thing. Um, and yeah, we've, we've usually, uh, you know, as the placemaking network, we've identified some areas that we feel could use some, some change or are right for some, some intervention or activation. And we usually, you know, check in with the city, get, um, talk to the appropriate city staff and, and make sure um, that they're okay with it and, and, or suggest some ideas. And often that leads to some kind of collaboration or their, their permission to do some, some work there. In other cases, we work more closely with, with individual residents or, or neighborhoods uh, particularly around things like uh, placing little free libraries um, or just in, you know, providing assistance um, around, around the city on little free libraries. So, so the placemaking happens at a lot of different scales. Um, and we, you know, we, I'd say we generally play in that sort of very medium to modest kind of scale, uh, working, working primarily in the city of Victoria, but looking at other places. Are there places in Greater Victoria that you look at where you think, boy, that's really calling out for, for some place making that, that we could really do something there? Every street in, uh, in Greater Victoria almost. Um, I'm, I'm a bit radical that way. But, um, you know, I think, Dean, we, we made a lot of mistakes in the uh, 20th century. And... Um, one of them was devoting so much real estate uh, to uh, vehicles, uh, particularly private vehicles, parking and traveling, and misunderstanding uh, what our public spaces should be uh, for. So I honestly think you can take almost every street in uh, Greater Victoria and find better, more optimal uses for that real estate if you looked at it uh, with the point of view of it being a blank slate, rather than being the current concrete and asphalt configuration. And we demonstrated that in you know, a project back in 2015, we did on Cook Street down near Dallas Road, where we 
we narrowed the driving lanes and uh, with pylons and added um, bike lanes on either side, but also added a number of pedestrian crossings, added a, a, a meeting, greeting, gathering space in, uh, on Dallas Road in the park there and uh, changed up the way the stop signs were configured so vehicles moved more slowly and so on. And that kind of approach could be done on, on almost every street that would give us more livable streets. The, the, the one big thing that I think we did wrong in the, in the 20th century is believing that the safest streets are wide open streets where a driver can see everything. And so for a long time, we engineered streets um, to have very few visual impediments. Um, and what it did, uh, unfortunately, was the exact opposite. It created raceways where people just drove at faster and faster speeds. And, you know, Cook Street was a good example where if you've got a, a lane that is literally wide enough for two and a half cars, and it's only like one travel lane, that vehicle is going to feel tempted and, and uh, authorized to travel at far higher speeds than it needs to. And that's not safe to the kids that are playing on the sidewalk, on the side of the street, and so on. And it's, it creates more noise, the noise levels go up, and so on. So one thing, I mean, it's not it's traffic uh, management, but it, it has an impact on placemaking as I would like to see uh, a real uh, effort for in our cities and municipalities towards uh, what we call complete streets in, in a very serious way where we say, let's, let's narrow driving lanes all across the community because that's shown, it's proven to be now safer than having these wide driving lanes. And uh, let's use some of that other real estate for other things. Let's add more walking lanes. Um, let's add some play spaces for kids along the edges. Let's, you know, let's uh, allow people to put out um, lawn chairs and stuff on the edges of a street uh, because we've now put up, we've narrowed the driving lanes and we've, we've uh, created some space for that. So that's kind of one of my things that, you know, I think, um, you know, there's many, many small spaces and, and little nooks uh, and places around almost every neighborhood where it could be more optimally um, uh, conducive to people uh, being there. You want, you want um, as many people as possible to be out sharing that public space because it, it does make it safer and uh, the uh, crime prevention people will tell you that the more people you have out in, in those spaces, the safer they are. Uh, so unfortunately, we've just turned over too much of that space to vehicles and, uh, and that's not safe. I mean, the, it's, it's interesting because the way, you know, that Lauren describes it is, is yeah, it, place, it puts placemaking in the context of a, of a much larger discussion about, about, you know, road engineering and road uh, road space reallocation and urban design more broadly, and and definitely you know we're part of that conversation as an organization, and and I think placemaking as a as a movement 
um, as 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 a community based kind of effort is is wanting to be part of those conversations. So it's it's the context I find is often interesting, and I think at, at large city dwellers um, and community leaders. Um, uh, uh, decision makers, counselors, mayors, um, staff members in, in municipalities have, have come around in the last couple of decades to, to recognize some of those 20th century problems as Lauren describes them and, and, and placemaking is part of that conversation. A lot of, a lot of the, the placemaking happens in sort of already existing public spaces, public squares or setbacks, or um, these, these little small spaces that have, were, were created sometimes decades, decades before that, and, and that have been neglected. Um, so that's, you know, those are sort of constituent um, pub, public spaces that exist that maybe need a refresh. Um, and, and we played a role in that, but there's plenty of these sort of um, other areas, particularly in roadways and parking spaces that are our public areas aren't aren't are owned by um, you know by residents and by by their cities by the municipalities and controlled by such so not privately owned um, that that also are open in in certain cases to to a rethink and a refresh and a, and a reimagining and the best the best example of course in in the last year have been uh, you know the patio spaces and and other spaces that have been opened up. Um, uh, particularly, you know, curbside parking spots that have been opened up for for patio spaces and gatherings and 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 uh, you know eating spots um, for in the face of of, of a kind of a emergency around the pandemic. Um, but there's other there's other elements there that that Lauren points to around around safety and things like that. Like there's no we have a lot of roadways in this region and elsewhere, as Lauren describes, that are are really wider and bigger than they need to be, and they were engineered that way um, in, in in a different era with a different kind of thinking. And so that does create opportunities to kind of re reallocate those spaces. Um, narrow them down, make them safer, and do um, just think about what else can this space, um, this public space, be used for. One, one, uh, you know, one thing that's happened, um, where that has happened, of course, in recent years in cities around the world, are, are bike lanes, and that some of that space has been reallocated to bicycle travel. Um, sometimes that comes along with um, changes in public design as well, added added seating and planters and things like that. So you can sort of make make the whole roadway as well as the, the new bike lane more attractive and, and safer. Um, so there's a, just a lot of layers there and, and placemaking is one, one part of it, I'd say. Are things getting better? Do you think that we are moving more towards uh, um, a culture or a society, particularly here in the capital region, where we're, we're thinking about these things, where we're doing design better and we're being more inclusive of elements that are conducive to people gathering? I think we are, um, Dean, in, in general, uh, it, there's always a push-pull, um, you know, as is typical in society of different forces in different directions. And I think in the core, uh, in the urban environment in Greater Victoria, there's there's a lot of positive trends. And as Ray said, so many of these things are tied together. And, and I think people often lose that connection of um, 
for example, that uh, urban density is a good thing. It's not only, it's good environmentally because we all do a lot less traveling when we're living in compact environments. Um, but um, the, what we find, I guess where I was going with my comment is that um, some of this tends to break, some of these changes aren't happening on the fringes. Um, they're not happening on, on the fringes of Greater Victoria and they're not happening on the, the fringes of a lot of other cities across uh, the country. So you see that um, tension in many cities where in my mind, we've really should have learned that suburban sprawl is bad. Uh, it's bad for our uh, sense of community. It's bad for um, the cost of living. It's more expensive, uh, even though your house initially is less expensive, your travel costs are far higher when you live in a sprawl community out on the edge of a city. Um, so we're seeing that force happen in, in many cities, probably almost most cities still across North America. You can look at a Calgary and an Edmonton and a lot of these cities where on the periphery, they're still uh, heading across the countryside with these widespread suburbs where you are required to pretty much have a private automobile to live with that lifestyle uh, versus compact uh, urban environments. So the placemaking uh, movement, I guess, if you want to call it that, is, is a little bit hit and miss. I think you can apply placemaking principles in a, in a little park area or a plaza in uh, a suburban neighborhood, but uh, to really um, do it right, uh, we as a society should be trying to evolve to uh, uh, a more dense uh, urban uh, environment overall. On the other hand, uh, just the, the simple answer is yes, that you know a lot of a lot more people now know what placemaking is and see the value of public space. So that's certainly encouraging uh, in the long term that trend can build. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the term, I mean, just the term itself, placemaking, it's just had an interesting, I think, uh, evolution in the last, you know, 10 or 12 years. I mean, just even locally, um, you know, when when our organization was formed and um, it, uh, you know, Lauren, 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 I know, and uh, several of us had conversations with city staff and, and city council, and that that led through Mayor Lisa Helps and others to have, have um, to include placemaking in, in some of their strategic planning. And I know, you know, we, you know, we heard that created some confusion at first because it was like, what, what's this term placemaking? It was a new term um, for a lot of people and still is for a lot of people. But, but now it, it is kind of, um, you know, widely sort of used um, and, and is a kind of recognized principle in, in within city hall, and and they they have grant making uh, grant programs and stuff that are based on place making, um, and and the the city has urban designers and others who get those principles. And in some ways, you know, place making is is really just about good urban design, right? And and it's uh, and the, um, uh, you know, because if you take away the community element 
um, that we're focused on. Yeah, it, it is really okay. What what's what makes for good urban design in in this certain this context or that context? And and I would say in that sense, yeah, the um, uh, in Greater Victoria, we, we're seeing better urban design, more interesting places as the city uh, evolves. Um, but but uh, it's um, it is a term that's been co-opted or, or ad adopted in different ways, um, you know, maybe more fairly adopted or just adapted. And, and you see it even I've seen I've seen, um, you know, development permits and proposals and things like that from from uh, condo developers who are saying, oh, you know, including placemaking or using the term placemaking as a way to sell their project. Right. So so there's that kind of thing. Um, going on but but in the end yeah our you know we've had a small role in this but yeah we we have put that term on the map i'd say locally here um as an organization and it's and it's you know we're part we definitely are part of a, a north american movement there's lots of organizations with different names in vancouver and new york city and around around the continent now that are interested in this as a community kind of enterprise um, or a, a level of civic engagement around public spaces. Um, but, but yeah, we're still up against all those 20th century forces of, of, of urban development and uh, engineering and otherwise um, and suburban sprawl. And those, you know, the changes in physical, the physical environment are, are long-term things and they don't change easily and they're hard to retrofit and, and adapt. So I think um, to do placemaking well in a, in a suburban environment is, is, quite, is quite a challenge. What does success look like? You've put the concept of placemaking on, on the map. It's in the, the planning lexicon and, and uh, the corridors of power where people are making decisions about land use. They're, they're thinking about this term, but down the road, uh, when you both uh, had uh, your your time on the board, and uh, you you looked around and you thought, "Yeah, this is the difference I wanted to make." What does that look like? It's it's probably many different things, and um, so ideally, you get that that understanding and that interest and that awareness of what makes uh, healthy and inviting places. At, at many, many levels, uh, whether it's formally understood, it's maybe intuitively understood at um, from, sorry, formal uh, governmental levels where, where planners and engineers and, and public works people and so on have that as a mindset. But also I'm, I'm really encouraged by the little things that you see at a neighborhood level and um, I'm always encouraged when I just see, I mean, there is, it goes two ways, but I, I see, you know, in some of our more rural areas, uh, people have put out uh, chairs, you know, at bus stops and things like that or created little informal spaces. But our little free libraries, which, uh, you know, we support and have been so successful popping up, you know, all across the region, as you know, um, I love to see those little things where people create um, little pods, little nooks, little little places where it's meaningful to their neighborhood or to their block. Um, you walk by and there's a, a little free library and there's a bench so someone can sit down and there's a, 
a water bowl there for their dog to have a drink of water and little touches that just to me kind of speak to community. And uh, so that's, that's a level of success. Um, so I think you need kind of the big stuff happening in a community and you need lots of that uh, little stuff happening. Um, and I think the people that are doing some of those little things just get it intuitively. They might, many of them not even know the term placemaking, but they have a sense that, oh, I want to be neighborly. You know, I want to invite people to stop in front of my front yard and have a conversation and, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I see it as a multi-layered thing uh, and there's of course, it's an ongoing evolution. So it's never anything where you're going to say, oh, we've had success, now we can stop. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, it's hard to improve on, on what, what Lauren had to say there. But I, yeah, I do think, I mean, success, success would be, you know, as I would say, on several of the sort of bigger, bigger scale sort of redevelopment, um, projects that we're going to see in certain corridors in the in the region the ones that i'm most familiar with like are along shelburne street in saanich and also the whole uptown douglas area both of which are going to see significant redevelopment in the next 10 to 15 years if those those sort of uh, that scale of development includes and welcomes and and initiates um strong public spaces um as as um those developments emerge and that would include you know um generous green spaces and public places and and trees and all all of those kind of elements good urban design um that would be success and it's not not a sure thing um by any means because those i think the the you know the plans on paper are pretty solid but lots of things um, can happen in in 10 to 15 years and there's lots of sort of economic pressures and otherwise um i also think yeah i think success to me would also um see things like uh you know the the newly emerging sort of government street um downtown and some of the changes that are still temporary down there um become more permanent and we have uh, you know, uh, successful pedestrianization of a number of streets or several more broad street kind of feels around around in the city core would be would be very welcome. Um, and uh, I, I would say, yeah, the other thing I would say is that is some of these kinds of changes, such as as changes to public spaces or conversion of parking spaces to more people spaces or, or lingering spaces um, become um welcome and not controversial you know because we we we've repeatedly run up against um the one that comes to mind is, is clover point in victoria but also you know the the dallas road changes with the with the multi-use path and the waterfront changes there which were like uh several years back but were really controversial when what we're going to run a bike path along dallas road um and 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 there were a lot of people just thought it was a terrible idea and why do we need seating there and and clover point even more so was more recently um and yeah i i would like to get to a point where people just recognize that there's there's value to these places and um and the removal of of a handful of of parking spaces or even 30 or 40 parking spaces for for other uses for multiple uses 
um, for different uses that, that bring in people and allow people to experience um, places other than for sitting in a car um, or, or storing a car um, becomes welcome and, and attractive and not something to get all upset about. Lauren Daniel is the founder of the Greater Victoria Placemaking Network. Ray Stratzma is the chair and longtime board member of the network. Thank you both for taking the time to, to chat today and, and for committing so much of your time and energy to creating and advocating for these people-centered places uh, that really, I think the evidence shows people truly value. Uh, if you were just gauging that on these pandemic patios alone, um, the overwhelming evidence is that these are places where people want to be and uh, doing more of this kind of work really is going to be uh, much more conducive to community building and uh, more enjoyable places to spend time. So thanks to you both for the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Dean. thanks. Thanks, Dean. This has been another episode of Amazing Places. I'm Dean Murdoch. Thanks for listening.